0: I'm You listen uh, the Bicycle Show on uh, Resonance 104.4 FM. Yes.
1: The Bike Show. I'm Jack Thurston, and I'm here again with Jen Kerrison. And this week on the show, we're going to be asking, are you the toughest? Oh do you want to be the toughest or the fastest or the best? What is it that makes people want to compete against each other on bicycles? you can do, I can do it better. I'm the toughest. I'm the toughest.
0: And I can Try and do what I do I'm the toughest I'm the toughest Stop from doing roles Change your foolish plans If you come with your big man I just use my skill I'm the toughest
1: Well, this is, of course, the sounds of Peter Tosh I like to think of as the Sean Kelly of the reggae music scene. How are you doing, Jen?
2: I'm very well, Jack, and you?
1: Oh, I'm all right. Um, We all know why the professionals compete against each other in the Tour de France and races on down from that. It's all for the filthy lucre, isn't it?
2: I think you might be right about that, but tonight we're not going to be talking about the professionals and their filthy lucre. We're actually going to be talking about those amateurs who don't earn their living on the bike, but come the weekend, they want to pit themselves against their fellow man and woman. And show the world that they're the best.
1: Well, that's right. And here with us in the studio, we have two people for whom the competitive impulse courses strongly through their veins. And in a moment, we'll be talking to an academic who has done some new research showing that there's a psychological link that explains just why competition brings out the best in athletic performance on the bike. But let's start with our studio guests. Ian Cleverly, you'll hate me for describing you as a veteran cycle journalist, but you'll probably like me for describing you as a veteran bicycle racer. Uh, Ian's the deputy editor of the excellent Ruler magazine. And sitting beside Ian is Lydia Boylan, who rides on the track predominantly, but not exclusively, for the Look, Mum, No Hands race team. Welcome both to the bike show. Thank you. Thank you. Ian, I asked you on the show tonight because once upon a time you told me you're really slow riding a bicycle and basically you can't be bothered with it, but put you in a race and you're a different man. What's going
3: on? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I know people who get a real buzz out of the whole training thing. And uh, Lydia, you may be one of them. I don't know. But, but for me, it's just a complete drag. But put me in a race and... I will do my absolute darndest. Something there's something extra lurking there, deep within, and and and, the, and a race brings it out.
1: Have you always been like that? Were you a a competitive schoolboy? Yeah, I was useless,
3: but I I gave everything absolutely. I mean, my 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 school reports, you know, would would say as much. Not academically, but sporting wise, they say, oh yeah, plucky trier. Totally rubbish, but you know, you'd give it a go.
1: And then you discovered cycling that you were quite good at
3: relatively speaking yeah. yeah eventually I went through all the disciplines until I got to cyclocross and I
1: thought oh I'm not too bad at that so yeah, that's where I ended up Lydia you've had a meteoric rise in the London cycling scene um, tell us how you got involved and what it is that you like about competition
4: um, I don't know From it is unexplainable from a young age I could never do sport without having something to aim for something to, to win um, and that's what pushes me. That's what gets me to train. I, I don't train because I enjoy training per se. I enjoy the challenge of it, but um, I'm always focused on the end goal. That's what I'm training for. I'm, I'm training to to beat that someone else in that race, to to be faster, to be stronger than them.
2: Now, Lydia, you're fairly new to cycling as a sport, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So, w- what's intrigued me about both of you is that both of you have said that you don't uh, particularly love the training aspect of it, but get you into a competition. Lydia, we, have you always been competitive with other sports? Are you one of those people that, you know, has been at the top of your game in other games and has now discovered cycling? Or is it just cycling that's found you being really competitive? No,
4: definitely. I've always pushed myself in, in every sport and I think cycling... Were I, you always good? I, yes, to a point. Um, I love, I an, honest, I love an honest athlete. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and cycling, I... Uh, I sailed before, and I was always sailing, and I was on the best college team, and won lots of stuff and that I mean, but I was never as good at it as a, at it as I was cycling and I just happen to have now found a sport that completely suits my body, and I'm seeing so much improvement the more I train um, I think that's the amazing thing about cycling is that it's purely physical it's you train and you get better um and then once you get better there's so much more to it because then you have to involve tactics and the racing and thinking about other people in the race so it, it, there's just so many things to think about
1: ian you wrote a piece for privateer magazine which is the the muddy brother of ruler the mountain biking magazine about competition and what motivates people to compete what did you what did you find out what did you conclude doing that piece
3: i reached the conclusion that that it's it's very difficult it's extremely difficult to, to 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 find why anybody does it you can you can ask any number of riders out there and there is theres there's definitely that recognition
1: this is the thing. william james point yeah yeah you want to elaborate
3: whole, on that whole, well his his you i i Having trawled through a book of, uh, oh, oh, I really didn't go as far as reading a book. I wouldn't want to go that far. But having trawled through various, I just found him eminently quotable on the whole, the whole competition aspect. And uh, there was just numerous, numerous little lines that that, that applied quite beautifully as to, to why why Such we do as what we
1: do. He, peer approval was that, that. But his basic thing, you know, we like to impress others.
4: Definitely, uh, especially in London. I mean, ladies cycling in London, it's, it's always the same core group of people. So you turn up at the races, you meet your friends, and then you try to beat your friends. And, then, and that's what you do every week during the summer. And but
1: it, they do remain your friends, they don't become your enemies.
4: No, definitely not. It's like what it stays on the track, and then it, off the track, it's we're best of friends again. Now, Lydia, correct
2: me if I'm wrong. You bought a bike and a month later did your first race. Is this correct? Yes. So so this idea of it being to compete against your peers and, and having peer recognition, these people, would it be fair to say, weren't in fact your peers. You just thought, I'm going to go out and race these strangers and beat them and then get strangers' recognition as well. So,
4: it, Well, another I, remarkable thing about cycling is that every, everyone has been so friendly within it and you don't really need to know them for them sure. to be your friend. And you, so you just turn up, you say hi and everyone's really welcoming and then you just... But I guess
2: that lends itself to so there being something, uh, f- and I know it is individual as you were saying Ian but there must be something that is more than peer recognition because you clearly thought well I'm just going to go and do this race and I don't, I don't even know who's going to be there so there's there's a fire within you that isn't to do
4: with peer recognition um, I, do, I don't know it's or it about
1: making your mark
4: to a point, I mean yeah you want to you be recognised uh, apart from the people that you're racing with so I don't know, it's a difficult one
3: The interesting thing, I I organised a big uh, cross-race at Ali Pali last weekend and uh, took an awful lot of sorting the results out. It took days. And then the queries you get are from the guys that are right at the bottom of the field. Okay, it's not the guys at the top. They pretty much know where they finish. But those guys that are 130th, 140th, (laughs) they're the ones going, oh, hang on, I finished two places in front of that. And you kind of think... What difference does it make? But uh, it makes a difference to them, you know. Even what? even when you're back there, it's it's like oh, I know where I finished, and I want to be recognised. I,
1: I can kind of understand, you know, wanting to win and, and realizing you're really good at something, and then wanting to do it some more. That's you know sort of common sense. But yeah, it's the race for 130th place that people might pour their heart and soul into. I mean, is that just one step up from commuter racing on the uh, on the ride into work? <laughs> No, how day. <laughs>
3: but that, that's—I can wax lyrical about cyclocross, you know, and, until the cows come home. But but that's that's the beauty of it is wherever you are within a cross race, there is a race going on. If if it's for first or second or 120th, or 121st, there's people racing within the race. In a road race, once you go at the back, game over. You know, you're not going to see that bunch again. Yeah. Um, and that, that's why
1: it's a great sport. So is it something about getting ahead of individual people? You know the little the little battles. Those little as you tussles, say. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah, getting the better of um, you know the person who's going to come 131st to your 130th. Yeah.
2: So then is it also about getting the better of yourself? So so in in an event, a, a road event, say I don't know for example a time trial over the same course, same distance, uh, you do a certain time one week and six months later you think. Uh, I want to beat myself in this race. Is there that element of self-competition as well, or is it just about competing against other people?
3: Well, I think a, a lot of people that do time trials is that that is what they would say is the is, is the driving force behind it. It is about doing your personal best time or beating, you know... It, 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 there's so many variables though, because you know there has to be a, a the weather conditions have to be a certain way, the course has to be a certain way, of course, da, 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 all that, and and if if all those things aren't absolutely consistent, which they can't possibly be, then it it doesn't it, it doesn't really uh, apply. Well, but the, but the, the, only, what, the
1: only timed race that I do these days is the ride of the falling leaves, and of course that's not a race at all. Um, but they do start a clock and and and. You know, measure your time when you cross the line. And whatever bike I'm riding, whether I'm riding the Moulton or the Brian Rourke, whether I'm riding in the pouring rain or the blazing sunshine, I always finish in the same time. I'm the constant there. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a few other people out there, and it's always just 15 minutes outside the gold time. Um, in fact, some a listener to the bike show emailed in saying we ought to start a little um, self-help therapy group of, of the nearly people of the Ride of the Falling leaves, so that we can make sure that we get the gold Although time next time it round. There was
2: only a few shows ago that we said, Jack, we were going to get you over the line it's next true, year, so you'll true. be there. <laughs> okay,
1: well, now as we're moving on to performance and um, delving a little bit into the science of things and the question of how competition affects our performance is very pertinent to this. On the line, um, we have Dr. Joe Corbett of the University of Portsmouth. Uh, Dr. Corbett, welcome to the show. You need to get your headphones on, guys. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Um, you set up an experiment where you were trying to determine whether the feeling of competition, uh, the, the sense that you're in a competition, had an effect on athletic performance. Is that about right? And can you talk us through exactly what it was that you were doing, in the
5: experiment? Yeah, I mean, that, that's basically correct. If, if I summarise the experiment, uh, what, we, what we did was we got uh, cyclists, to, uh, to complete, uh, complete a 2,000-meter uh, virtual race course. So they exercised on bikes that were rigged up to a piece of computer software. And as they exercised, they had an avatar displayed on the screen in front of them that moved along the, the virtual race course at the speed that they were cycling at. So the faster they pedaled, the faster they covered the virtual race course. And we got them to do this on three occasions on their own. So they came into the laboratory and completed a 2,000-meter race course as quickly as they could, Um, with the only instruction being to complete the distance as fast as they can. Um, What we didn't tell them that we were doing was that we were actually recording their performances. So they were unaware that we were doing this and when they came back into the laboratory on a further occasion, we told them we were competing against another participant of similar ability who was exercising on another bike behind the screen. In fact, the person on the bike behind the screen was one of the experimenters who was just exercising lightly and as the individuals exercised, they were projected on the screen, so there were two avatars on the screen, the participants, and who they thought was a competitor, but it was actually their own best time that was recorded when they exercised alone, so effectively they were racing against their own best performance.
1: And you um, tricked them into doing this, essentially, they didn't know they were racing against their best performance, they thought they were racing against another individual.
5: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, they were unaware that it, that it was um, themselves they were racing against they thought it was somebody else from the, uh, from the experiment, just another participant.
1: And how did they do in the, uh, in the race against themselves?
5: Um, pretty much everybody was able to beat their, their own best performance when they performed alone. Um, so they were typically about 2% quicker when they exercised in, in what they believe was a competition than when they exercised alone.
1: So what's going on here physiologically and psychologically?
5: Um, well, typically these kind of things have, have been looked at from a psychological perspective, so things like motivation. Um, I was interested in the physiological basis for how you're able to raise your game in a competitive situation. Um, And also how this competitive situation influenced the way people pace their exercise performance. So would they start out faster and try and stay ahead of their competitor throughout? Or would they track the competitor and then try and out-sprint them at the end? Um, And and what we showed was that um, almost without fail, the participants tracked their own best performance at about half distance. And then from about halfway onwards, They gradually um, pulled away from their own best performance, obviously, who they thought was was another competitor, um, and were able to then beat them by, as I say, approximately 2%. So what we think is happening is uh, they're getting more confident as the event goes on um, and there's some kind of risk-benefit analysis going on where they're realising that the pain of actually completing the task um, is being outweighed by the reward of beating uh, their supposed competitor.
1: And are they tapping into some special um, energy supply that they didn't have when they were doing the previous um, you know, effort?
5: Well, one of the interesting aspects of this study was we were, we were interested in the energetic basis for, for how this occurred. Obviously, if someone's going to cycle faster, there has to be somewhere that that energy is coming from. Um, and we were able to show that this was actually coming from a greater amount of the anaerobic energy reserve. So the energy from anaerobic resources is essentially limited Um, although we don't ever fully exhaust that energy store. And what we found was that competition was able to encourage these participants to dip deeper into that finite store. So effectively, they're able to to hurt themselves a bit more and to dip into that limited store um, because of the reward of competition.
1: So I'm going to put this to our competitive cyclists in the studio here. Does that sound familiar, guys?
4: Definitely. I mean you even you notice it in the numbers that um, I always wear a heart rate monitor when I'm racing and it's always quite a few beats higher than when I'm training so you know you're pushing yourself that much harder
3: Ian? Got, I have a turbo trainer but it receives very little use but when I do get on it I know I know darn well that I'm not getting the best out of myself but yeah you stick you stick me on a on a, on a race track and uh, uh, I'll I'll do I'll do my darndest. There's just something extra there, definitely.
4: I think you, your your mind tends to switch off, and it it's purely physical. You just know that you have to pedal faster, and you don't think about it. You don't think about the pain. You just keep moving faster.
1: And I want to ask, uh, Dr. Joe Corbett, is there a difference between the desire to win and the fear of losing, or are they essentially two different ways of describing the same thing?
5: Um, well, I don't want to tre- step on the toes of any psychologist. <laughs> I'm not actually a psychologist. I, I, I'm an exercise physiologist. So um, what I will say, though, is, is that the psychological aspect of it is very interesting in that there's, uh, we're looking at differences between uh, different states of motivation, so maybe being intrinsically and extrinsically motivated. And what other studies have shown is that things like financial incentives, um, and obviously this is particularly relevant for the professional cycling scene, but with uh, with the cyclists that have been studied in some of these studies, financial incentives weren't able to tempt them to go any quicker whereas we were able to show that the incentive of competition was sufficient. So make that what you will but obviously there's some subtle differences in terms of what the motivational factors are that seem to Tempt out these superior performances in competition.
1: So, Dr. Joe Corbett's telling us that it's not the filthy Luca, Jen. It's it's the, co- the you know the good, honest um, Athenian spirit. Is That it?
2: is an absolute shock to me. It's the only reason I'd ever go professional. <laughs> it's for
4: all the filthy Luca that we we'll well, get Jen, in professional cycling. Jen just
2: keep on turning down <laughs> those uh,
4: contracts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how you don't think about it when you race. I've been I've been lucky enough to win quite a few races this year and. I have got a nice little bit of money out of it, but if I'm that hundred meters from the line sprinting, I'm not thinking about oh I'm going to win ten pounds if I if I come first. I'm thinking about I'm going to win, um, so it's you just don't think about it.
2: So Lydia, when you are in a training ride and you're, um, I mean, do you get competitive with with your with your training partners? And is it the same f- sort of feeling for you or the same sort of output when you're, you know, racing to the next? I don't know whatever it is you're racing to in your training, Ryan.
4: It's the same sort of thing, but I think it's possibly more fun. Like I was just talking to my teammate earlier, and she said that how she just wanted to beat a guy up a hill. Um, it you just do it because you want to beat them. You don't. Sure. It's just a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to
1: put a question to uh, Dr. Corbett. You're no mean marathon runner, I see from your um, biography on the University of Portsmouth website. Do you feel? this kind of thing going on in your own brain when you're when you're racing when you're racing along the mall and the um the, the super fit squaddy in the rhinoceros outfit is coming past you do you push on a little bit further to avoid that humiliation or
5: um i think i'd have probably not come to the start line if the rhino was going to come past me um but uh, in all seriousness um it, I, I've recently invested in, in a GPS and before then I was a little bit oblivious to how my different, uh, how my speeds in training and, and competition differed. Um, but now I've got that hard data and I, I can clearly see how fast I run in training and how fast I run in competition. I, I often struggle to get anywhere near my competition performances in my training despite the fact that I feel like I'm working uh, extremely hard and feel like I'm giving my best effort. So it's certainly something I can
1: relate to. Well, thanks very much for joining us and good luck with your um, further researches into this fascinating area. Thank you very much. Well, um, it it, it kind of validates your view, um, Ian, that you're a better bike rider when you're racing. But can you enjoy being on the bike when when you're not in a competition or is it just miserable, boring, horrible training? Can you go for a nice ride in the countryside and enjoy the... The flowers in the hedgerows, and oh yeah, the pub lunches. <laughs> <laughs>
3: just there's a pub lunch on the end of it. But uh, the great thing about modern training methods is this idea of the recovery ride. That um, when I was younger, I don't think there was any such thing as a recovery ride. You might have called it a calf stop or something, but it seemed to me that everybody was just going flat out the whole time. That was that was the uh, that was training. And now things are a lot more structured. And I've I've been out with guys that have actually got their. When I, mean, I don't do all these monitors and and technology, I just <coughs> dumped the lot. But I'll go out with guys who who will say, "Oh no, I'm on my recovery ride," and they'll be going so slow and spinning such a low gear that that I'm I'm quite sort of shocked at how 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 restrained they are. But they will stick to their numbers, and they will go, "No, we're going to do." Sixteen miles an hour, whatever it is, and spin our legs at a hundred hundred revs and uh, and 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 that yeah, that's enjoyable
1: Lydia, have you discovered the joy of out of competition? cycling
4: um, and that's been the amazing thing uh, thing about being on the team this year is that we just kind of generate just text about email go oh i've got like a four-hour ride on my schedule and people will be just like oh yeah i'll do that i'll do that and you just turn up and you just go for a spin with whoever whoever's there so it's no, the social side is definitely definitely there I,
2: um i've never been a competitive cyclist but in my younger day i was a, a kind of competitive triathlete and um And I've also been a runner as well. And I think that is the thing about cycling, isn't it, Um, um, from all the sports that I've done, is that it is so social. And that, for me, uh, you know, I can go out for a five-hour ride on my own and and just come back thinking, I don't don't know how I got through that and I'm never doing that again. But get me out for five hours with a bunch of friends, and the time just flies, doesn't exactly.
4: it? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to motivate yourself to want to go out in the rain and the snow and all the way throughout winter on your own. So if you've got someone else there to do it with, then it's so much better.
1: I mean, I find it all very curious, this competition stuff, because I went to, um, you know, I must have done something in a nas- a nasty in a past life because I went to a, quite a sporty um, secondary school. And it came to a point where we would, my friends and I were so sick of being forced to do competitive sport, that we started a cycling club, so that we could, whenever all the other kids were doing cycling, we uh, were doing rugby or cricket or whatever, running around the cross country, we would just disappear off to Hertfordshire on the train and ride for a couple of hours, stop at a pub, and um, enjoy ourselves. Endorsed
2: the, by the school, but, Jack. yeah, endorsed by the school, <laughs> but in like entirely
1: non-competitive sure. kind of way. Um, so yeah, yeah. But that's that's what. Uh, although Lydia was saying
3: it about the social aspect of going riding with a bunch of others is obviously great. Cycling also, to my mind, attracts loners and, you know, slight misfits who don't want to play rugby and get their faces pushed into the mud, you know, and and I I think it it attracts a lot of people that that don't really fit in that whole team sport thing and they find a, a sport that kind of is a team sport, but they somehow somehow we all kind of
1: you don't need to work. have the team you don't need to have the other eight people there to practice it as i remember having to have when i was rowing um at university and <laughs> you know where, where are the other ones <laughs> so I go out on my own but um we, we're getting towards the hour i want to ask our two guests for a couple of very quick pointers about where people who want to dip their toe into the competitive waters in the london area might make a start lydia
4: uh, well, summer is probably the, the best season to start, but there's so many series over the summer. There's Hillingdon, there's Palace, and I would just say, Google, find out some info and, and just don't be afraid to turn up. And, and fitness doesn't really matter. You, you'll race and you'll realise how fit or unfit you are and then and then hopefully be hooked after that.
3: Um, I would say something slightly different. Summer may be a great time to start racing, But the time to learn to start riding with other people, following wheels, riding in a bunch, is the winter. Join a club, find a bunch of mates, go out and learn how to ride in close proximity to others. Because if you turn up at a race at Hillingdon and it's your first race and you've never done it, you're in trouble.
2: It's scary. Apart from
1: that, cyclocross
3: (laughs) is the answer. All winter long, yeah.
1: Well, when Jen gets off her crutches, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be reporting for the bike show on on becoming a competitive cyclist How about it correct
2: yeah all about the filthy Luca I'll reporting from Monaco and from when you win your first mansion.
1: fish and chipper we'll, 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 we'll celebrate here <laughs> well that's pretty much it for this week's show um, for those who are not heading down to the track and prefer the entirely non-competitive bike ride in the countryside then I hope to see you on the next Friends of the Bike Show ride which is going to be this coming Sunday the 6th of November The marvellous Patrick Field will be leading us on a ride to St Albans and back of about 100 kilometres. We'll be leaving from Columbia Road Flower Market at about 10 a.m. on Sunday. And more details on the bike show website www.thebikeshow.net or you can follow on Twitter at The Bike Show. Well, thanks to our three guests. Thanks, Lydia. Thanks, Ian. And thanks, Dr. Joe Corbett of Portsmouth University. Um, and thanks to you for listening. We're going to play out now with a track by the Lorraine Bowen Experience. It's called Bicycle Adventure.
0: We're on a bicycle adventure. And you're racing in front on the bike that I lent you. We're on a bicycle adventure. I packed a picnic. Stick for later So wait for me Sometimes you get the
1: Listeners, this is a brief addendum from me, Jack Thurston. It's trick or treat out there. <laughs> this is a brief addendum to say that if you are looking to expand your podcast listening and you liked what Ian Cleverly had to say, you might want to tune in and point your podcast browsers to the Ruler podcast. Um, Every issue of Ruler there are six issues a year and for every issue I host a short discussion about half an hour with Ian or Guy and uh, one or two of the other contributors and photographers where we talk about what's in the mag and um, the stories behind the story. Anyway that's the Ruler podcast and you can find that on the iTunes Music Store, and I'll put a link to it from the website as well. Thanks for listening, and happy Halloween.